Trudy Morton Cole, and once again, you're listening to Shelf Esteem, the podcast where I talk to interesting people about the books that they find interesting. This week, the final episode of 2019, wrapping up the year in books, I have invited my daughter, Emma, who's been on the pod with me before and who is now studying English at Acadia University to come on and talk about the books that she's found interesting this year and uh, I guess some things about reading in general. So Emma, how are you doing? I'm doing great. And what have you been reading in 2019 that you've really liked? Do you have any like top or favorite books of the year? Well, my problem is that I can remember books I've read recently. Okay. But I can, I'm not sure whether I read them in 2019 or 2018. So I'm going to stick to the ones that I'm 99% sure were from 2019. That's fair. Nobody's going to, nobody's going to fact check. Yeah, nobody can fact check this unless there's a picture of me reading the book from last year. Yeah, we'll bury those pictures. So two books that I'm I'm sure I read in 2019 because I remember when they came out Uh and that was 2019 um, was uh, The Vanishing Stair by Maureen Johnson, which came out early 2019 and I got it like as soon as it came out mm-hmm. because I love that book and I love that series so I had to get it and um, Please Send Help by uh, Gabby Dunn and Alison Raskin Okay, also read that that was in the summer I think loved that one as well very different books but I loved them both a lot now both of these are by authors that you'd read before right? yes they're both sequels funnily okay. enough um, uh, and I'm ready for the third one in the Maureen Johnson trilogy as soon as it comes out I'm getting that one as well um, and I really enjoyed the first books of those series, so they were ones that I was, like, on the release date as soon as it happened. I had to had to read them immediately. As soon as they came out, right? Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about each of them. What's the Maureen Johnson series about? So the Maureen Johnson um, book is a mystery thriller mm-hmm. set in uh, modern times, but in, like, creepy old boarding school where murders have happened and it... As they do, as, you, know. you know. Are there many creepy boarding schools where murders haven't happened? Um, and it jumps back and forth between, I think it's like the 1940s or 30s or 40s or something, when the original like murders and kidnappings took place um, versus modern day where a student is trying to retroactively solve these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that very interesting because... Let's get into it. Let's, Let's get into get it. Into it. Um, one of my problems with YA sometimes mm-hmm. is that it tends to be a bit too general or generic because it's trying to, you know, uh, um, appeal to a wider audience of just teens. So sometimes the protagonists end up being very bland because you want them to be um, just a stand-in for the reader, pretty very much. Very relatable. Very, right. like, very relatable to the point of having, like, no personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very easy to... Uh, solve this in a, a way that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But uh, I like how in this series by Maureen Johnson, this character is just really into true crime and solving murders, and that's her whole thing. Uh-huh. So you, there's, like, no bullshit where she has to work around why the protagonist is having to solve these crimes. Like, she doesn't right. fall into it. She goes to this school. I'm going to solve these murders. <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm here, and we can... Get all that, you know, why is she in this place at this time out of the way. She's This is to her job. This, this is what is she's going to do. There, yeah. um, and she has a very distinct personality and very distinct interests. Mm-hmm. Murder. Mm-hmm. Yep, um, <laughs> uh, and solving those types of crimes. Uh-huh. Uh, and I just, I love Maureen Johnson's writing anyway. And I think each book of hers or each series of hers that I've read, I've loved more and more. And this mm-hmm. one, I think, is just excellent. Oh, that's great. It's so good. It's so good. And it's so good when you love a writer's work 
and everything you read by them gets better and better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially uh, this one where it's like, it is leaning into the the mystery genre, Mm because I think people sometimes don't always explore other genres within YA other than just these are people in high, these are kids yeah, in high school. Yeah, they don't look at Coming of age, yeah. something, blah, 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 blah. But this is that plus mystery mm. and thriller, and it's very well done and very, very, um, uh, it's a real page turner. Oh, that's really good. Mm-hmm. On that thing of, like, a writer's book's getting better better, my favorite book this year was one by a writer I had read and loved before, but I, like... It was Marina Endicott and her book, Good to a Fault, I loved, adored several years ago. And then I read her next two and they were both good, but neither of them was like, you know, a book that that I kept thinking about for a long time after I finished reading it. And I thought maybe just that one book of hers hit with me and the others are just kind of good-ish. And then I read her new book, The Difference. And by the time I was about a third of the way into it, I was almost scared to keep reading because I had gotten so engaged with the characters that I was afraid something terrible was going to happen to them and I was not going to be able to cope with it as a reader. It's this wonderful um, historical fiction about an 11-year-old girl who is on uh, in, in is she 11 or is it 1911? It's one of those two things. She's a young girl and it's early in the 20th century. So it's the, the number 11 is in there somewhere. It's, 11 is related. It's, it's pre World War I and she's a preteen. Okay. And she's on a ship that her brother in law, who's just married this girl's much older sister, owns. And they're sailing around the world. Mm. And it's like there's trading reasons why they're doing it. But it's just like this amazing what it would be like to be on a, on a, a sailing ship at that time in the world and all the things you would see and they go to like Australia and the South Seas and everything. I loved it so much and I was so happy to read another book by the same author that I loved as much as the first one which was very different. Like Mm -hmm. her books are all completely different but I love every, you know, this one as much as the first one. And I remember uh, Maureen's uh, Maureen Johnson's other series. I can't remember if it was called The Shadow Cabinet or if that was just one of the names of the of the book. I remember that title. Yeah, that yeah. one. It was um, very like paranormal mystery kind of, mm-hmm. which isn't really yeah. a genre that I gravitate towards. So even though I and I'm, I'm not even sure if I finished the last book now that I'm thinking about it, but her writing is still just so good that it, it got me through it pretty mm-hmm. much because I remember very vividly. You know when you read a book and you start um, thinking that the character's problems are your problems, even when you're not reading it? (laughs) Yes. Like you put it down and it's still in the back of your head? I remember this was like years ago. I was reading this book and one of the characters had been in a fight or something and got stabbed and like had like a horrible like Mm. uh, wound in in like her, her stomach area. And I remember... Not when I was reading the book. Like, it was just throughout my day. I was thinking, I can't do that. I have a whore. I just got stabbed. <laughs> I didn't I didn't get stabbed. I have no problems. <laughs> I was like, I can't do that. That's going to hurt. That's going to hurt. That's going to hurt. Wound. I just got stabbed. Still healing stab No, but it was very vivid writing that clearly stuck with me. Maybe a bit too much. Maybe a bit too much. A little bit too much. And the other one you said was Gabby Dunn and... And Alison Raskin, Please Send Help, which okay. was the sequel to I Hate Everyone But You, mm-hmm. um, which I maintain is... Uh, they're both really good books and also really good to get you out of a reading slump, which I was kind of in, I think, when I read I Hate Everyone But You because it is um, about two characters... uh, Well, the first book is about two characters that are best friends that have just gone off to separate universities. Mm -hmm. And so it's all their correspondence throughout their first year by email and by text. Uh So that's the whole novel. Like, there's no other narration or anything between there. It's just their text and emails emails back and forth. Um, so it's really quick to read, even mm-hmm. though it's like a, a, a fair-sized book. It's a very quick read, and you can get into it mm-hmm. um, really easily. Um, 
and it was just so good. And then the second book is, I think, after they've graduated and sort of mm-hmm. what they're up to now, both living in different places but keeping up their correspondence. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, from watching, like, their YouTube channel and stuff like that, uh, it's very obvious that the characters are based on, based them, on them. And yeah. they wrote it together. And I, I assume one wrote, you know, one person's perspective and mm-hmm. they wrote the, the names are not even that, that different yeah. either. I think they start with the same letter or whatever. Um, which normally I would probably complain about with mm-hmm. like an author being like, this is clearly just you. But um, Gabby and Allison, I think, are so interesting as people that I really don't mind reading a story that's <laughs> partly autobiographical. Because mm-hmm. um, uh, it's clearly influenced by like their times in university, even though they weren't friends then. Yeah. Um, kind of how they were as people and the things they went through and it's very relatable but also just interesting as well Mm -hmm. on a because of how not relatable some parts of it are now having since you read that book Mm -hmm. you have gone away to university and been in a different town from your best friend and all that do you feel like it's like a realistic portrayal of university well, life? Well, uh, the one caveat is that if it is, if it was set in like 2018, 2019, I don't know anybody who emails their friends ever. Um, <laughs> but I understand that they had to choose to do that. I mean, maybe some people do send really long emails to their best friends. But, you know, they had to choose that format to go with. But definitely, I think the texts back and forth that you send to your best friend, especially when you go to a different place, um, are very entertaining and very telling and tell their own story. Yes, just yeah. looking at like timestamps and when people read texts and uh-huh. when you respond, um, that can sort of create a whole story yeah. on its own. I feel like that's something that novelists are still only figuring out how oh, to use absolutely. social media and, and modern communication yeah. effectively. And, and when you read books where they'll, where they like, are very non-committal about it and won't say what social media they're talking about or they give yeah. it like a like a really a dumb name, name like yeah. twatter or something <laughs> like that it's like we know what that is yeah. um but i guess you don't want your book to become like obsolete really quickly or I something guess like not, that but at the same time i think there's something for having it rooted in the time it's set like yeah you're write yeah people do shy away from it i don't think they should i think no. it but also um the uh, like how do you format that in a book you know yeah. how do you yeah, well, how do you is, convey and, and especially things that are very visual like if I would assume teenagers now are probably like Snapchatting and yeah, that sort of exactly. Thing. And how it's do very you hard to write a Snapchat in a it, book. It is, yeah, or to convey a novel through the Snapchats that you and yeah. Your no, I think if other. it was Snapchats, that would be more realistic, but a lot more difficult and a very a much shorter book. Yeah, like back in the early two thousands, I was always thinking about was anybody going to write a book that really captured? And a few people tried. Um, the subculture of message and discussion boards, which was mm. a huge thing then before like Facebook and all the yeah. you know, the social media uh, apps, because I was really involved in message boards in those days. And I read a few novels that tried to to recreate that, but none really in a convincing it's hard. way. It is hard. Yeah. But I, I it's guess... almost like by the time you figure it out, the social media has moved exactly. on. Exactly. Yeah. And I think this um, this way of doing it, I mean, there was no trying to shoehorn social, like it was yeah. all online yeah. digital stuff. So yeah. that's the whole bit, that's the whole chunk of the book mm-hmm. is just that. So it, it I, in a way, I guess it's easier as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So those were the books you read from this year that really stood out. Those to were two, and then as we were talking, I remembered another one. <laughs> okay, which well, I don't think came out in 2019, but I, I but you the, read it. Yes, the author Sarah Milanowski. Okay, I yeah. believe mm-hmm. I think that's who wrote it. Um, I have read a few books by her, but I for some reason can never keep up with her writing. Like I always figure out that she's released a new book two years later. <laughs> I don't know why that is, but I I'm always late to the party. Um, but I've read a bunch of books by her, 
Um, the one don't 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 even think about it. Don't even think about it. I read that one uh, like years ago, and I loved it. It's one of my favorite YA books ever. So I bought one of her newer ones called I See London, I See France. Mm -hmm. Also another one which was called I think like Ten Things We Did But Shouldn't Have. You know, Mm -hmm. one of those YA titles, something like that. Um, and I both of those books I really liked because um, they kind of. It seems like they're following very typical YA tropes and trends, but then subvert them in ways that aren't like not big twists or anything, but that just kind of make you realize, oh yeah, that's actually how people act. Things don't always end up in one big explosion of, you know, fights and whatever, and then you get this nice resolution at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, it just is uh, both idyllic in the way that YA kind of is, um, but then also uh, uh, really real and very uh, relatable and realistic as well. Mm. Which kind of brings me into one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, about, I mean, we've already mentioned YA, young adult, young adult fiction mm-hmm. quite a bit, and I know you've always been a big reader of young adult fiction. I think, for, particularly for the people who are not steeped in that genre, it's important to note that what gets marketed as YA is really geared towards teenagers, like yeah. junior high and high school. Well, that, it, I, I feel like uh, YA protagonists stop existing after they graduate high school. Yeah. Like, there's that kind of... People don't really know where to put university age yeah, people, yeah, so you yeah. don't get a lot of YA books written about them, Yeah, which is probably why I liked I Hate Everyone But You. Cause yes, because it, was... it is. And I think there was, a, there was a brief stab there at trying to make something called new adult uh, yeah. a genre of like people either in college or in their first years mm-hmm. after college. But the thing that I think is interesting is that what we call YA is marketed to teenagers, and then by the time a person is what I would actually consider a young adult, like your age, 19, 20, in university, uh, I think there's a lot of expectation that people stop reading YA and move on to yeah. more adult fiction. Which, I'd love to know what you think about well, that. Well, can I be honest? Be honest. General fiction, a lot of it's really boring. <laughs> a lot of it's really boring, and I don't like reading it. Um, which, I mean, a lot of YA at this point, some of the more generic formulaic stuff, just like there's generic formulaic stuff in general fiction in as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it feels like the YA market is kind of or at least was for a while, really oversaturated with the more generic, formulaic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and going back and reading that is absolutely unbearable. I cannot do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the good stuff, finding like the good authors that are playing with genre within YA, like playing with genre but still geared towards teens and young adults, mm-hmm. that's where you find really good stuff. And sometimes I do feel like there is... I don't know if, like, a pressure is the right word, but there is an expectation to switch to reading, yeah. you know... Adult books. Yeah, adult books. books. for adults. Serious books. Um, yeah, yeah, serious books, exactly. But I think there's still so much good stuff in YA mm-hmm. that you don't need to, like, leave behind when you turn 19 or 20 yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. There was a question on the Dear Hank and John podcast a mm-hmm. little while ago. Uh, with somebody saying that they felt they should have outgrown YA fiction, but every time they tried to pick up general fiction, it was about people in their 30s raising kids and getting divorces. Yeah, there's I, from the little bit of general fiction I've read, it's just like, I just want you to explain things to me sometimes. I need a little more exposition, and I don't want everything to be a metaphor all the time. Well, that's, I mean, that's, yeah, because there's two different things. I think there's the subject matter, and some general fiction does deal with, like, you know, older adults yeah. or whatever, some with younger adults. But there is a difference in writing style, too, because I think 
typically YA does tend to lay it out a bit more for the yeah, reader. Yeah, yeah. Whereas which more general fiction usually expects the reader to do expects a bit more Expects you to, to, to pay more attention. And also, there's just something, I don't know the words to describe it, but there's just something about um, <laughs> uh, general fiction that feels like it's, <laughs> it's kind of slapping you in the face a little bit <laughs> as you read it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I think can you give me an example of a book slapping you in the face while you read it? Because I love I mean, that image. The only, the only things I can think about are examples by local authors, and I don't want to do that. Okay, um, fair enough. But, like, you know the wave of, like, short stories, which are also not, like... Yes, yeah. Like where they... Collections of linked short stories. Yes, yeah, but that collections. style of writing as well in novels, which yes. I assume exists, um, where... They tell you things that are usually kind of sad, but they'll never use emotional language. And then the story ends on a random detail yes. that leaves you going, was that important? <laughs> I do know exactly like what you mean. Like you're meant to read the last sentence and go, wow, that was profound. But I read it and I go, is that the end of the book? <laughs> is that where the story's ending? Really? I, I <laughs> totally know what you mean, yes. It just feels like with YA, there's maybe a little bit of a safety net that's like, this story's going to have a beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, you can and count when, on that. And especially with newer general fiction, I don't always know that that's what I'm getting into. Yeah. I can't trust, I can't even trust that people are going to put quotation marks anymore. How do I know they're going to give me an ending? <laughs> and to some extent, I think you're talking about the distinction between commercial and literary fiction, Yes, this too, is true, yeah. Because literary fiction is definitely where you get the... It's more of a European ending. And you're left with more questions than answers. Which, by the way, is a quote from a VeggieTales video. Yeah, but I do use it almost every day. And it is very relevant to yeah. a lot of literature. And certainly the, I'm going to drop quotation marks and maybe even question marks yeah, and let yeah. you figure out mm -hmm. who's talking when, is very much a yeah. hallmark but of a I, lot of literary fiction. And I feel like there are, the books that I am really liking these days are the ones that kind of could go either way between YA and general fiction. Yes, yeah. And I guess they just kind of had to make a choice to which market they're yeah. going to uh, advertise it too. Yeah. Um, like I think the uh, Maureen Johnson. Um, I'm forgetting the name of the whole series now. Oh, the Truly Devious series. Right. That, aside from the fact that it's about a girl in high school, really feels like it could be like there's nothing else really that ties it to YA. Yeah. I think yeah. maybe I'm misremembering some of it, but you know, um, it it does feel more like it could be general fiction as yes, well. Yes. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that that question about young adult versus adult fiction came up on the Dear Hank and John podcast because, of course, Hank and John Green both immediately said, how about Hank Green's novel, An Absolutely Remarkable Exactly. Thing. I was going to talk about that one, but I couldn't remember. I don't think it came out in 2019, did it? In 2018. But the sequel exactly. is coming out in 2020. Yes. So it's very relevant to, yes. to talk about. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and that is... Uh, was it the the main character April? She's like just graduated. Yeah, she's been graduated for a couple years. Just which again is a young adult. Yes. But in the young adult section, you'd be hard pressed to find a protagonist over the age of seventeen. Right. Which right. really seems that's kind of when young adulthood yes, that's starts. Young adulthood is. Yeah. And she's very much dealing with that. You know, what am I going to do with my life yeah. after college, and who am I going to be? And then also these giant robot yeah. sculptures have appeared. Yeah, of course, that's a whole separate thing. Um, but yeah, I feel like there is. There almost should be a genre between what YA is now yeah. and sort of general fiction that is actually young adult. Mm -hmm. And then, like, preteen and teen yeah. is more a uh, accurate label for YA. Yes, you know? really, it is. But then also there are, and I think I've said this before, too. I, know I've, I didn't say it on this podcast. I said it on another podcast that I was a guest on when we were talking about genre. Um, that, you know, sometimes the term YA gets... It, it, 
is kind of dismissive when it gets late. Yeah, looser. yeah. Um, like Sally Rooney's novel *Normal People*, which I told you you should read. Yeah. Um, Sally Rooney's Irish novelist, very young, very, very hot. Everybody I know who's young and trendy has recommended her this year, which is why I read Normal People. And it is very, 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 very good. There's no reason you couldn't label that YA, except Mm -hmm. that it's extremely self-consciously literary and there's some kind of dark stuff about sex, but there's also some kind of dark stuff about sex in some genre YA fiction, right? But Normal People is just a novel about a guy and a girl who meet in high school and have a very complicated relationship that lasts until they graduate from university, which, Mm -hmm. that's a YA novel, really. And I also feel like YA has kind of become synonymous with, like, teen romance. Yes, yeah. Which is, for a while there, and part of the reason I I guess I don't read YA as much as I... Well, I just don't read as much as I used to. We'll get into that We'll get to that. Um, Is that, for a while, I was like, okay, when I go browsing around chapters... I'm going to find a book that's YA and is not about romance. I remember for a long time you had and, a quest And oh my gosh, it. is it the most difficult thing. The closest, I think the first time I tried to do it, the closest thing I could find was a book about a girl who is a sociopath and goes around murdering people. Not a lot of romance in that one. No, it was still in there, but it not. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it's so difficult because the, the blurbs for YA... On, on like the inside, inside of the jacket or on the back is always this is the protagonist. Maybe they mention her best friend in the first sentence. Her scenario, one interesting character quirk about her, her goals or what she likes. Her life is like this, whatever mm-hmm. her life is like. But then she meets slash is introduced to slash has to work with this dude. guy, <laughs> guy who is. Insert quality. Will blah 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 blah. Like every single, every single blurb is like that. Every mm. single synopsis, and it get, it does get tiring after a mm. while. And that's not to say that the books themselves aren't. Because some books that are written like that are still very good and have a lot of character develop, development and really good, you know, mm-hmm. plot and moments and stuff. But it does get quite repetitive after yes, a while. Yeah. Which I think when I was like. 14 or 15, I wasn't really recognizing that yet, but by the time I was like 16 and 17, I was like, this is a lot of what this is. Yes, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And one book, you mentioned local authors a while ago, um, and we both read Susie Taylor's Even Weirder Than Before. Yes, I was year. trying to, I, in my notes, I just called it the pink book because I couldn't remember <laughs> yes, what it was called. Book, it's just yeah. the one that's pink. But it very much does not fall into that pattern. I no, think, but yeah. it is very, like, it is like, the definition of like a coming of age novel yes, yeah. and was so well written and so uh, captivating to mm-hmm. read and it was very very good but it doesn't follow any of those tropes because you don't have to yeah you don't exactly have to. you can write about being young and not have it it's structured it. around a, a romance plot. exactly yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I thought that book was was really good especially the way um, uh, the difference between when the book starts and she's like what like eight or ten years old I think she's in grade eight she's grade like oh grade okay yeah, yeah um, the difference between even just the the subtle like the narration in like her thought process mm-hmm. from there to when to the end of the novel was yes. it was just so naturally a, a progression and a growth that yeah, I, I'm yeah. so good it's a real it is a real coming of age book because you literally see her yeah and you don't age. even really notice it until you go back and compare like the first chapter yeah. or something and be like oh yeah you really do become like a person yeah exactly. <laughs> at some point <laughs> at some point so you mentioned not reading as much as you used to and i feel that this is linked to the fact that you have gone off to do an english degree maybe or maybe not i don't well know. like uh a lot of uh bookworms my age of course we had the like 
Harry Potter and Percy Jackson era were just reading everything all mm-hmm. the time. Always yeah. reading. This was like the end of elementary school, beginning of middle school. Couldn't mm-hmm. stop reading. Always had a book. I think this was also tied to the fact that in junior high we had 10 minutes in the morning where you had to be reading uh-huh. in homeroom. That was what homeroom was. You had to bring a book and you had to read. That's such um, a good policy. It was really good. Um, and also, like, I wasn't on social media that much or anything. Yeah. People, did, when you're, uh, at least when I was 13, you didn't <laughs> use your phones that much. No. These your, days. Your phones be... weren't even that useful back no, when you were 13. No, couldn't do anything. Yeah. And I was putting them in the washing machine left, right, and center. <laughs> so sometimes didn't even have a phone. Um, uh, so I was reading a lot. And then I feel like in high school... High school and university, uh, the amount I have been reading has significantly dropped. Now, I still think I read more than a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But uh, I remember in high school, I was definitely not not reading as much. But I still had time where I, they keep you in school for so long. They really ha- do, yeah. And the whole day almost. You're just caged there for the whole <laughs> day. There, and you, you can't. Well, you can leave. But you shouldn't. You shouldn't leave. You should stay there the whole day. Um, and I so think I, your brother discovered that you yeah, could leave school during the day. But I think you got through to grade 12 but without for, Yeah, but discovered. for someone with the specific anxieties I have, you can't leave yeah. school. Um, uh, but there were times where it was like, I can, this class isn't important and I can read a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then university, you don't have the, you have more downtime mm-hmm. in between classes where yeah. you can just, just scroll on Twitter for <laughs> absolute hours. Uh-huh. Uh, and I haven't been reading as much. That's why I never keep track of how many books I read in a year. Cause I feel like I'll always be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Not that there is a number of books like you should read, but, no. um, I feel like if I were to quantify it, I would start like um, questioning: Do I even like books? Am have I, I even a reader? Enough? Yeah. Like, have I been reading? Am I even like a book person anymore? Yeah, Am I a fraud? To, you don't no. want to go down that no. road. No. Um, so I definitely read for fun, for leisure, less mm-hmm. than I I do. But I feel like I've always read less during the school year, especially mm-hmm. since high school. Yeah. I read a lot more during the summers. Right. Yeah. But during the school year, it's. Oof. <laughs> and but what I was wondering is has on top of all that has doing an English degree where you have to do a lot of reading for classes and read novels and plays and and essays and short stories for classes is that t- intruding on is that taking up a lot of reading time? Um, I don't think so because a lot of the reading, especially if it's from if it's stuff that I don't give a shit about, that's just like homework. Yeah. Whereas you know you don't consider it reading. I don't yeah. consider it reading. No, if you're making me read, I don't know like Hegel or something uh-huh. or Kant I don't I that's not reading I'm just I have to do that um so that doesn't like that doesn't take away from yeah. my reading time um but I do get you know uh more time reading books and stuff mm-hmm. and and short stories the stuff that I enjoy maybe mm-hmm. that has replaced some of my leisure reading and a are, little bit are there things that you've read for your English degree that you've really enjoyed oh yeah um I read uh in terms I think I only read no I read two novels well I didn't finish one of them but don't tell my prof that <laughs> <Okay>. um <laughs> I I wrote, I wrote about it on my final exam but I did not finish it uh <laughs> I we read Jane Eyre and Herland in a book about writing by women uh-huh. um which were both very good um, I assume Herland ends well as well. <laughs> That's the one you didn't finish? That's the one I didn't finish. I never, have you ever even heard of Herland? You never heard of Herland? I oh. hadn't either. I don't know why I'm at it. When you... There's, there's such specific tendency, which I guess you would know of as well. You've never heard... When they come up on your syllabus, you've never heard of them. But then once you've been talked at them for so long and been made to discuss them for so long, and someone says, I've never heard of that. You you never heard of that? 
But that book is so famous. It's so everybody knows that. Cut to two months ago. I had no idea what it was, right? <laughs> to be fair though, Jane Eyre, I think. Jane Eyre, we do know. Jane Eyre, of course, I had heard about and probably seen is there a modern adaptation of there are Jane a couple Eyre, like, of modern movie adaptations mo- movie adaptations but like not like uh, like Clueless and all that no, stuff no I like don't think there's a modern movie modern, the way but, the but way. like I was vaguely aware of the, yeah. I've heard jokes about women in addicts yeah, you know yeah. um, which by the way in multiple of my courses women in addicts came up a lot it's a theme it's, it's a, a theme. lot that's why that there's a book I think I told you by Gilbert and Gubar called The Mad Woman in the yeah. Attic, you know, which is yeah. it's a whole trope in Victorian literature. Yeah, all these women in the attic. There were so many times that I'd read a short story in a different class and be like, this is just like Bertha. That's right. <laughs> just yeah. like it. Um, uh, so we read that, which of course is a classic, so yeah. I feel like I'd, I'd have to have read that eventually. Mm-hmm. And I've, oh, I was so surprised with Jane Eyre how modern the prose felt. Yeah? Like I was reading it and I was like, this is... You know how sometimes you read old books and you go, ugh? Yes. Because yes. you can't, you've got to spend I five... I often have that feeling with Dickens, got it Exactly. you got to spend five minutes on a sentence and you yeah. have no idea what's going on. Um, but with Jane Eyre, I was like, I can understand this. this and I, I got it, yeah. I feel like. Um, so that one I really enjoyed. And then Herland um, felt a bit more dated, even though that one's only from like the 40s or something. I could be wrong about and that. And that's the one with like an all-female society? Well, yeah, it's the one about this uh, utopian, in quotes, because is it really a utopia? Um, <laughs> that's all women. Uh-huh. Um, and I was really surprised because it's written by a female author, uh-huh. um, but it is told from the perspective of these three men who are explorers. You know, back in the days when their job could just be exploring yeah, places. Yeah, just, what do you want to do? I want to be an They're explorer. They're like, oh, let's get on a yacht for six months and then we'll go to Africa. And, <laughs> you know, like, whatever, when guys did that. Um, and it was written, it's written about them uh, finding, discovering this mm-hmm. land and sort of being not quite captives, but like, but it lived like fun hostages there for a little while. <laughs> oh, yes, fun hostages. Fun hostages. And with, like, the three guys, you get kind of, like, um, different, you know, varying levels of misogyny, so you can see how they react yeah. to the to the woman-only society. And it was just, like, so funny. There was one line that I just found hilarious, and I laughed out loud, where when they're being taken captive by these women, and then the women are, like, talking to them or whatever, and uh, and one of them says... They were treating us not even different, but we're men. <laughs> they're like, they're treating us like equals. <laughs> what a shock. How crazy. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that was a good book. That was really short, so I don't know why I didn't finish it. Um, so there's some good books out there that they're making me read, which honestly, uh, reading those felt more like like leisure reading rather yeah. than, than well, a good. chore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I read some fun plays as well. Oh, I also read Turn of the Screw. That was a novella oh, that yeah. I read. That's Henry James, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, again, like a more of a wide, wide, mm-hmm. uh, which is what English Yeah, because I would never about. sit down to read plays if they weren't assigned for a class. No, I probably, well, maybe these days I might. But uh, some of the ones that I was assigned for class, I really enjoyed. Hedda Gobbler, Antigone, and Salome mm. were the three that I, I, I bought from the bookstore after I'd finished the class because they were just really good, um, which I definitely wouldn't have picked up to read otherwise. Never no. never would have crossed my mind. I'm surprised you didn't do Antigone in high school. They didn't do it when you were in We did Oedipus Broadway. in high school. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Antigone, the fun sequel. Yeah, the, there was a fun, upbeat sequel. You know, where it's Christmas time because they need to make it for TV. <laughs> And Salome, you, you had a lot to say about oh, Oscar Wilde's play Salome. It's the funniest thing I've ever read. It's so good. Salome, 
this young, really hot princess is just in love with John the Baptist, who's an old, smelly prophet who's been living in a well for 15 years. <laughs> and I mean, John the Baptist was disgusting to begin with. It's like, like they took pains in the Bible to describe how gross this guy was. They, I'm pretty sure there's multiple instances in the Bible where they just roast him about how he eats bugs. Yeah. <laughs> And then they put Oscar Wilde put him in a well for a few yeah, years. Yeah, Oscar Wilde didn't sex him up for the play no. to make him more attractive. But Salome is so in love with Eo. He's called Eo Cannon in the novel. So in love with him. And it's like, the thing she says the most is, I will kiss thy mouth, Eo Cannon. I will kiss thy mouth. Over, I, I was going to, uh, for my exam, I was highlighting all the times she said, I, will, I had to stop because it was just, <laughs> just too, too, many, much. too many times. I was like, okay, I get it. She says it a lot. Um, and then by the end, she asks for, after she does the dance of the seven veils, um, asks for him to be decapitated and then makes out with his decapitated head. As one does. And it's like, and it's like, oh, what's that taste in your mouth, Eo Cannon? He's dead. He can't respond. She says, what's that taste in your mouth? Is it blood? No, it's love. No, it's actually blood, Salome. It definitely is blood. That decapitation, fresh done. That's blood. Oh, man, Oscar Wilde was, had a weird imagination. Oh, it was so funny. And I wrote about that every opportunity I could in of that course. class. Why would you and not? It was just so good. That idea of perverted femininity is what mm. we talked about a lot in that class. It was Victorian art and aesthetics. Mm. And I just found Salome so interesting and so just dark and morbid and hilarious. I mean, the image of her kissing John the Baptist's decapitated head is um, so over-the-top grotesque yeah. that it's, I think, it's funny. But in a way, it's kind of the flip side of the mad woman in the attic. It's still that idea exactly. that like, female desire is so dangerous. Well, that's the idea of the new woman and the clever woman around the late Victorian um, century uh, mm-hmm. or Victorian era where, you know, women had kind of had enough. And the way I saw Salome, there's a couple different ways to look at it, but one of my favorite ways to look at it is like Oscar Wilde saying... Women are so, I mean, everyone in the Victorian era was, but women are so emotionally repressed Mm -hmm. and are expected to be so prim and proper and blah, 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 blah. Um, What are you afraid of? Is this what you think everyone's going to act like? (laughs) If you think we let women wear pants, they're going to start making out with decapitated heads? Is this what you think? (laughs) Is this what what, what you think female desire is? That women are just going to be kissing decapitated (laughs) prophets all the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But one of my... I I don't know if this is getting off track from the topic. Oh, that's fine. But one of my... my favorite parts of Salome that's not funny yeah. is the idea that um, there's a, the moon is out because this takes place over like I think like three hours um, <laughs> the moon is out and uh, every male character that comes out um, says something different about the moon which if you look at their characters actually reflects what they think about Salome mm. so like the soldier who's in love with her says I think she looks like a naked princess who's dancing it's a sphere I don't know how he gets that <laughs> I already get that um, the yeah you get that and then like um Herod, who's um, Salome's uncle and stepfather, comes out and is like, "Oh, she looks like a she looks like a drunk whore or something mm. like that." And then Salome comes out and she says, "I think the moon looks like a very beautiful virgin." Because of, mm. of course, I think Salome, even though she had kind of this promiscuous reputation, was still a virgin at the yeah. time. Um, so the moon is like holds everyone's representation of how they view Salome. You know how women are expected mm-hmm. to be a million different things, but criticized for doing any of those things. Yeah. Um, so the moon holds kind of all of these different um, versions of Salome that exist in the world. And then it's specifically written, I think it's in the stage directions, 
that when Salome is making out with John the Baptist's head, she's illuminated just by moonlight. Oh, wow. Sort of the reflections of all yeah. of everyone's expectations of her and the, uh. she kind of cracks under the pressure and goes absolutely insane. That is so interesting. Oh, and then she dies. She's killed. Of course. Yeah. Of course. You've got to kill the woman. you got to kill him. Yeah. It's interesting, too. And, of course, it's interesting because I had never read Sal- or seen Salome, but I am kind of fascinated with Oscar mm. Wilde. Um, and, you know, as a gay man in a very repressive society... Mm-hmm. He obviously had some thoughts about desire that is not acceptable to be expressed, yeah, too. Yeah, for you know. sure. So that's interesting, too. Oscar Wilde also, I think this is a play that he wrote in French and then had to translate it into English by someone else. Even though English Even though he, was his, <laughs> his, his, his tongue. Language, yeah. He wrote it in French and then someone else translated Sometimes it. Sometimes writers just like to make things hard for themselves. Yeah, you know. We do. Mm-hmm. we do that kind of thing. You know, some people don't put quotations in. Some people write in a second language and refuse to translate it themselves. You know. <laughs> Um, so that's our look back at books of 2019. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> our look back at 2019 includes a play from the Victorian era. That <laughs> sums up the year nicely. Greatest books of 2019. Sal- Salome. <laughs> but, you know, my attitude when I say best books of the year is it's always like, what I read this year, not what came like out. It's like when a book re-enters the charts because there's a movie being made. <laughs> <laughs> what a movie. I guess there was at one time a movie made of Salome. I have no idea, but what I really want to do is a stage play of Salome. Yeah. Because I would I would go, first of all, all the props would be dog shit. The blood would look so fake. Everything would be ridiculous. Um, and uh, for the moon, I would do a projection so that it slowly transitions so that every time a new character points up to the moon and says, oh, that looks like a dancing princess, there would be a silhouette of a ballerina <laughs> On the moon, do it as literally as possible. But then it goes so slowly that the audience wouldn't even be looking. And by the time Herod comes out, I was like, "Oh, she looks like a prostitute." There'd be like a mud flap lady (laughs) silhouette on the moon, but it would be kind of subtle, so it looks kind of like the spots on the moon. But it would, instead of like, "Oh, the moon looks like," it would be that thing very distinctly. (laughs) I probably need to explain to our audience that in addition to majoring in English, you're minoring in theater production. I am, which is why you're thinking of what the moon would look like. I just think it would be so fun, especially with like the plays we've done uh, at the. The theater company recently have been uh, uh, had very weird comedic spins on yeah, some of them. Right. So that was my immediate thought when I read Salome was how I would stage it. Oh yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. It'd be really interesting. So what about reading in 2020? Are there books you're particularly looking forward to, or do you make reading you don't make reading resolutions or challenges? No, I, I mainly just kind of think about if if I am aware of them, like, authors that I like that have new books coming right, out. Yeah. So, of course, Hank Green's new book. Yes, which is called A Beautifully a, Foolish Endeavor. A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor, of course. Next summer. And the uh, final book of Maureen Johnson's Truly Devious right. one that's coming out early January. I've got to order that one so I get Do it Do you know what that possible. one's going to be called? Oh, something about a clock, maybe? Okay. It's green. It's green. It's green. It's going to be green. Is it going to be green? I don't know. Anyway, um, uh, but I'm really excited for that one. Because uh, that one's also got a lot of like um, like riddles and uh-huh. stuff in it, just you know, fun riddles. Fun riddles. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot of lot of lot of mystery and th- and it's one of those books that's like so chock full of different things that you almost like it. You, I can't even wrap my head around every plot of it yet, mm-hmm. but in a good way. I good. feel like there's always new things that are still going on. Um, and other than that, usually I'm just surprised by what comes out in 2020. Like, yeah. I, I just wander around the YA section until I find a book that looks pretty, and then I read it. And if, if it's got that blurb, the, that, that YA formula blurb, I put it back. <laughs> <laughs> so you really do judge books by their covers. That's the only thing you should judge by their covers, Absolutely. is books. Yeah, that's, books. That's how you know, it's a book. It, 
Yeah. You designed it with a cover. <laughs> exactly. And they pay people good money to discuss, yeah. to d- d- design book covers. So mm-hmm. why should you not judge yeah. books by their covers? Of course. Um, oh, and also my favorite thing about YA, specifically with covers, not my favorite thing, but one of my favorite things about YA is looking at the trends of covers and oh, titles. Oh, yes, cover years. trends. If yeah. I could do a research project on the trends in YA covers and titles, I would. Because it is so fascinating to me when you see a book come out that gets successful and then over the next few years you see those titles, like the the title types being emulated, the cover art being emulated, even like the font of the Mm -hmm. letter. There was one time, it was um, the Jennifer E. Smith... Okay. Yeah, Jennifer E. Smith... um, the statistical probability of love at first sight and then all mm-hmm. the other ones that came after yeah. that. There was a book that came out after those, I think, that I assume it was after those, that was called Love and Other Foreign Words. Yes. Yeah. And the spine of the book looked like it was trying to trick you into thinking it was from that series. Yes. Yeah. Because it even had like a little heart drawn mm-hmm. in like the same spot where the yeah. other ones did. The font was exactly the same. The titles are kind of like similar. Yeah. And I that's why it caught my eye because it looked like it was from that series. Yeah. And then I did buy it and read it. So it's not like that's I'm immune <laughs> yeah. to that. And I think it's not just YA. I think you see that in publishing generally. Like a few years ago, particularly for historical novels, which is what I read a ton of, mm-hmm. there was a lot of, and it's still going out of some extent the something something's daughter or the something something's wife mm-hmm. uh like the what's the ghost painters or the something painter the printmaker's daughter the uh lighthouse keeper's wife the police the... chief's 11 ounce 12 <laughs> 12 pound 11 ounce surprise that's all. That's all other can of worms. genre, yes, of romance novels with needlessly specific titles. If it doesn't into. include the profession and a location, I'm out. I'm That's not right, reading yeah. it. Um, but yeah, that and, and and covers too, like um, disembodied parts of women or women with their faces turned mm-hmm. away were huge well, on book covers. In the point. like fantasy genre, of course, that's a whole other, in the fantasy YA. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's a whole thing as well, the like... Like a, a a a woman, but she, like you only see up to her like chin or something, yep. and she's probably in a ball gown holding a sword, you know, yes, yeah, things yeah. like that. Um, and yeah, then within uh, uh, within YA, you had the switch from like um, real people, like pictures on the covers, to more like stylized, cartoonish looking things, yeah. almost. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and you see these kind of trends pop. And then up. of course it turns into a movie, and you get the movie tie-in cover exactly, with the actors which on I it. Just, I, I try not to be one of those book people that judges movie covers, uh-huh. but I do judge movie covers a yeah. little bit. You know, you think it's more pure if you yeah. have the cover. I don't from judge people who out. buy the movie covers because usually they're on sale. Yeah, usually that's what happens. The movie comes out and the book gets a very slight price reduction, so you buy that copy mm-hmm. instead. Um, but I just I think it, they usually look ugly. <laughs> Except for um, what was it? The Hate You Give. That was oh. a good way to do a movie cover. Yes. yes. The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Best movie cover ever because it was essentially almost exactly the same as the original Yeah, just book recreated cover, with, except Amanda with the Seyfried, actress. Yeah, yeah. Amanda Seyfried, yeah. yeah. Um, and I was going to say, too, when we were talking about YA, that her follow-up to The Hate You Give on the come-up was one of the best 
YAs I've read this year. I didn't finish that. Didn't you? No. So you didn't I, get into it that much, eh? I feel like I didn't... I Maybe I didn't give myself the time to get into it, mm-hmm. but also I... Uh, yeah, no, I didn't finish... Does that say I'll never finish I it? I didn't but think I, it was as good as The Hate You Give, but I did really, really like it. I thought it was yeah. a great one. No, I didn't get as into that one as I kind of hoped I would. Yeah. Maybe I had my expectations were too high. Could be, yeah. yeah. Well, when an author comes out with a great debut, debut novel, often it is... Your, your expectations are pitched really high. Mm-hmm. So are there any others coming out that you're looking forward to or thinking that you may be reading in the next year? Oh, no, I have no idea. I'm just, <laughs> just waiting for books to I happen. just wait until I see it on Twitter and I go, oh, oh, I'll go get that next time I'm at the bookstore. Twitter is such a great source of book recommendations. It is. It really yeah. is. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, on the one hand, yes, you can waste a lot of time when you could be reading, spending it on social media. But at the same time, there were books I would never have heard of. Like another one I loved this year, and this was nonfiction, uh, was Haley Rubenhold's book, The Five, which is about the five women who were killed by Jack the Ripper. Mm. And it's not about Jack the Ripper, and it's not even about the murders, because everybody's written so much about those. It is a really detailed examination of everything we know about these five women's lives up to the point that they were killed. So That's like, really interesting. Kind of yeah. giving them back their humanity and giving mm-hmm. them back identities rather than just they're famous because this guy slaughtered them. Um, and the only reason I knew the book existed was because I found people retweeting Haley Rubenhold on Twitter who had to do a ton of defending herself from what are called ripperologists, yeah. so like people who, guys, of course, yeah. who are Men. not exactly fans of Jack the Ripper, but almost, like people who are fascinated with him as a killer and were really contemptuous of her work because she was mm-hmm. focusing on the victims as humans, not just as victims. But if I hadn't seen that whole controversy on Twitter... You wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known the book even existed, and I read it and I loved it. Yeah, so there you go. There you go. Mm-hmm. Social media, for the win, it's good for books. It's very good. It's a good promoting tool. Uh, you got to be on Twitter. That's right. I used to be uh, really into setting reading challenges, not like people who set the number of books they plan to read in mm-hmm. a year but like I'm going to try to read like one year I tried to reread a whole bunch of classic novels that I had either missed or not appreciated when I first read them read them read when them. you read <laughs> um this year I don't really have any except I have one and it has to do with this podcast okay so I'm just gonna because it's the podcast I'm going to say that when I started this podcast which I feel like was two or three years ago I was trying to do a podcast every two weeks Mm-hmm. And that turned out to be very difficult. Not so much for me as it was hard to get guests to like line up yeah, and everybody's yeah, yeah. times to line up. And then I just basically got into a thing where the schedule of the podcast was whenever we get around to making one, there there'll be one, which is cool, but a little erratic. So for 2020, <laughs> my goal is one podcast a month. There you go. So there will be like a January podcast, a, a February, etc. So I'm saying here in semi-public, that is my only book resolution for 2020, is to host one episode of this podcast every month. That sounds that sounds very valid. It sounds measurable, which I think is really <laughs> yeah, important to the podcast and a goal. Mm-hmm. Measurable and attainable. Emma, thank you so much for coming and talking to me about books. Thank you for having me. It was a, a, you know, a hard trek out here to my own basement, <laughs> but I'm glad I, I made the journey. I'm very glad you made the journey, and I always enjoy talking with you about books. Come back on the show anytime. Maybe next year. Tell us what you've been reading. Yeah, again. we'll check in again next year. All right. Thanks so much. I will be back again in a month in January 2020 with some more great guests. And until then, read a good book and build your shelf esteem.